0: Our sun is dying, mankind faces extinction. 16 months ago, I, Robert Kappa, and a crew of seven left Earth frozen in a solar winter. Our mission, reignite the sun before it's too late. Welcome to Icarus II. Welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. We're back with another episode of Spotlight at the Movies, the yes. thread of our podcast where we look at a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni, either in front or behind the camera. In this episode, we're covering Sunshine from 2007. The member of Star Trek alumni, in this case, is Michelle Yoa. We are going to be breaking down this film, discussing her part in it and what else she was doing at the time. Obviously, Michelle Yoa, uh her big Star Trek connection is... Obviously, she was a kind of regular in Star Trek Discovery. She's an interesting figure because... Of the fact the place she now holds in Star Trek lore as she was this major character in Star Trek Discovery, like, you know, introduced as the first captain of that show on the USS Shenzu. Computer
1: privacy. Captain. How dare you challenge me? I apologize for my insubordination. Didn't you realize that kind of talk can destabilize a crew? Don't underestimate them. I've overseen their exercises. They're ready for battle. Battle is not a sim. It's blood and screams and funerals. I taught you better than this. We don't start shooting on a hunch and we don't take innocent lives, period.
0: But then kind of, you know, came back as like the Mirror Universe evil version of her character. Captain Michael Burnham, you've been away too long. Though I can't say the same for your prisoner. I do not appreciate having to walk my way across the quadrant to clean up your untended mess. When I give an order, I do not expect to be ignored. Don't you bow before your emperor. And then Card became a regular on the show in kind of season two and three, then left that show and is still meant to potentially be the lead of yet another Star Trek spin-off show, Section Thirty-One. But I think as the years go on, the chance of that happening becomes less and less. But because of that, she's still she's a major member of Star Trek alumni now because she's kind of a regular of one show, and she kind of literally got filtered out of that show to seemingly star in her own. So we've got loads of her movies on the spotlight, like the movies list without quite knowing how big a part of the Star Trek legacy (laughs) she is going to end up being. But to break this movie down properly, I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello, everyone. And I'm Liam Dempsey, and we are going to get into Sunshine, a film released in 2007, written by Alex Garland and directed by Danny Boyle. A
1: large amount of O2 is burned in the fire. We do not have enough oxygen reserves to get us to our payload delivery point. There's something else too. There was no malfunction on the airlock hardware.
0: The airlock was decoupled the manually.
1: There's enough oxygen to get us to the payload delivery point.
0: Everybody get here now!
1: There just isn't enough to get all of us there.
0: We know we're dying. As long as we can live long enough
1: to deliver the payload. You will not live long enough to deliver
0: the payload. Please clarify. We have remaining oxygen to keep four crew alive. Affirmative. There are only four crew members. Negative. Five crew members. Not your children, not even stars. Matt, have you seen this film before?
1: Yes, I think, if I'm not mistaken, did I see it with you back in the day? I did see it in the cinema
0: in Bournemouth. So did I. In 2007. Was it when you were my enemy? (laughs) (laughs) When When we both lived in Bournemouth, and we did go to the cinema together often. Yeah. So it is 100% possible that we went together. Maybe. I think
1: there's a few films that kind of fill that criteria of, of in my memory. But this is one, yeah, I had seen before. I covered it just over a year ago on my other pod, Sun Devil Deep. Just... Yeah, we, literally. Yeah, we completely forgot that you'd covered this on your other podcast. Well, workbook. I'd kind of forgotten when we said we would do this for this. And that's not a comment on the film at all. I think it just completely blanked that I'd covered it on the Sunshine Triple Bill, along with Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind and Sunshine on the Leith. But yeah, this is, a, this is a really cool film. And it comes from, like you say, a really good partnership with Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, who of course worked together on 28 Days Later and had
0: a really close partnership. Garland wrote, wrote the novel At the Beach, it's based on. Yeah, well. I mean, literally, by the way, I did some research on Alex Garland for, for this film. And he was like something like 20 fucking three. Or same when he wrote the beach, the novel, like which is a huge critically lauded, you know, novel yeah. uh, that was then kind of you know adapted by Danny Boyle and everything. Then he became a screenwriter, then a director. I'm um, like Jesus Christ, yeah. the, Like that's by, insane. By that metric, he would have been what twenty five, right?
1: Twenty years later. Yeah, something like I'm that.
0: Saying, it's it's some ease like meat to meet to early twenties yeah. that he wrote that.
1: But it's interesting, like looking at the kind of people who put this together. It, it, you know, it really kind of shines a light on the fact that there are very few big genre movies, whether they be sci-fi or horror, coming from British backers. And you know, this this does has UK Film Council funding, and it comes from DNA Films in particular, who do all of Garland stuff. And it's just like it's just hit me now, just looking it up, being like, oh yeah, this is a really great original, uh, like, it's not based on any IP or a novel, it's just a great original, big, high-concept sci-fi film made by Brits for, like, the international audience. And this is the sort of film that, you know, I think the UK should be making more of because it's like, this shit sells, you know what I mean? It's like, this this can travel, and when you do it this well and have a cast of uh, incredible people who, as I'm sure we'll get into, have all gone into incredible stuff as well, it's like, this is the... It doesn't. It feels like lighting them in a bowl, but it doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and by that metric, you don't just have to rely everything on Alex Garland's output either. Because of course, you know he came back around with writing *Dread* and and then getting into directing himself with *Ex Machina* and *Annihilation* and our Men*. Hello. Hi. Mrs. Marlowe, yes. Harper, yes. come in. The words I have to say
0: It's a beautiful be simple, house. But
1: Will it just be you staying? Or... Excuse me? Mrs. Marder?
0: No. Until
1: you give your love There's nothing more that
0: we can do Apple from the garden? Y-
1: yeah, it was delicious.
0: No, no, no. no, Mustn't do that. Forbidden fruit.
1: Oh, God, sorry. I, I, I'm I... am joking. I oh, Tormented?
0: It feels more like... Wanted? Yeah. Something happened. My husband went upstairs to our balcony and let himself go.
1: You must wonder why you drove him to it.
0: Why well, I didn't drive him to it.
1: I think it'd be true
0: but if you had given him the chance to apologize He'd still be alive. What? You've got a good plot log line for this film.
1: Yeah, essentially, this is uh, set in the not-too-distant future of 2057, and the sun itself is dying. And so uh, the powers that be have sent this uh, space flight, this space mission, off to essentially detonate a giant colossal bomb into the space to jumpstart the sun, which is such a B-movie premise in terms of the science and it's interesting the relationship this film has with real science because it did have a lot of uh consultants on board but that core idea of like oh just blow up the sun to kick it's such a hokey one it's the I, I love it and so it's about this uh core core team of scientists who are on the ship to fly to the sun to restart it basically and of course in the uh Off screen history of this movie, there had been a previous expedition, the original ship Icarus, which went missing, and this ship is the Icarus II. So, on their journey to the sun to deliver this payload, they of course come across the distress beacon of the original ship, and shenanigans ensue.
0: Well, of course, as you say, this is an international cast. Um, which was inspired actually by apparently the original cast was more generic white people and then Danny Ball was you know consulting with actual NASA uh, kind of people and they were like well actually the makeup of, kind of real space missions mm. tends to be very made up. International. Um. Or well, why? If you ever seen any of like kind of NASA documentaries or anything like that, you will see that a lot of uh space like they, they do tend to be like a mix of nationalities. So literally to reflect the reality, they went with a far more international cast. I mean, and this cast is absolutely fantastic, absolutely stacked. We've got Killian Murphy, Irish, Rose Byrne, Australian, Chris Evans, American, Benedict Wong. Uh, is Brit. Mark Strong, uh, also Britt, uh, who obviously isn't on the main crew uh-huh. but is in the film. Haruki Sanada, yeah, Japanese, and Cliff Curtis. He's Kiwi, and we've also got who is it who plays the dickhead?
1: Uh, so that's Troy Garity. He's also American. He's uh, he's from stuff like the Barbershop film series, and a few other things. So it's like I think it's it's almost a joke, isn't it? Where it's like you kind of got to feel sorry for this guy, where every other person in this cast is now like. If they weren't already, they are now
0: at least recognisable. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> certainly Murphy, Byrne, Evans, Wong and Strong. Wong and Strong. <laughs> I want to see that detective series. Wong and Strong. <laughs> Wong and Strong. Um, are all, like, huge. And even, like, Sineadra and Curtis have both been in loads of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: has been around stuff. years, of course, in... Um, Lost. Lost and The Last Samurai. Way back when, and then he's a part of the MCU as well. He shows up in Endgame. You go by that metric, yes, yes, um, yes. yeah. He's fantastic. He, yeah.
0: he's, he's got real presence. That guy, I think he's really, really fantastic, and he makes a big impression here. At spoilers, as usual, we we'll spoil the fuck out of this movie. He's the first to go, isn't he? He's the first to die, and uh, you know, I, I, I found his death really emotional. Like, yeah. I mean, like you know, you you really like him. You think he's, he's the captain, the original yeah, captain. And he kind of sacrifices himself. And yeah, really, really emotional. But as we say, the big check connection here is Michelle Yeoh, Yet another huge part of the cast. Obviously, Michelle Yeoh already incredibly famous before this point. If anything, her career only keeps getting cast stronger over the years. This is an actress who's been essentially huge since the mid-80s. You know, obviously in Hong Kong cinema and everything like that. But literally... Now, she's in the MCU, mm-hmm. Shang-Chi. She's and still, Guardians. Oh, is she another character in Guardians? Yeah, she's one of the... Um, she, she's one of the few people, is she, right? She's one of the few people, isn't she, plays multiple characters in the MCU. Yep. So, MCU, Star Trek, still essentially a part of that. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Mm -hmm. She's the lead in absolutely brilliant film, if you haven't seen it. She's the lead in that, directed by the Daniels. Basically, if you see one multiverse film this year, make it Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah, so she's she's doing gangbusters at the moment. And it's
1: amazing that, you you know, she was a big star in the 80s as well. And coming into this film, uh, Daniel Boyle cast her based on... Tomorrow Never Dies, of course, which is late 90s. And then
0: Memoirs of a Geisha, which is mid nineties. So it's like she's had all these touchstones throughout every decade. Oh, she's also part of the Crazy Rich Asians universe, which is getting like a sequel and a spin-off and mm-hmm. everything like that. So, you know. Uh, of course, one thing I do find odd is I read some uh, behind-the-scenes trivia on this. Uh, apparently, Danny Ball was so impressed by Michelle Yeoh by her audition that he was basically like, oh, you can play any role you want in the film. Like there's a male role you want, I'll basically turn it into a female role for you. And she chose the role she's mm. playing in the film, and I was a bit like, "Could have chosen a juicier role, shall <laughs> you we know? It's like, yeah, because don't be wrong. I Maybe think, she was like, "I don't want to knock poor Sonata off of his captaincy." Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't be wrong. I think she's, I think she's great in the movie. You know, she's. It's just a really incredibly strong cast. So I think she's good in the film. And her kind of the whole thing is her big connection is with the plants because she's the like botanist type person, isn't My she? Yeah, but it goes very silent running. Bruce Dern in Silent Running, mm-hmm. but it's not the most plum role. <laughs> like yeah, you know, I'm like literally. If that's true, you could have chosen that. But like you know, maybe she made a big connection with that with that part.
1: Um, hello, I'm Michelle Yeoh, and I play Corazon, the botanist slash astronaut slash scientist the one who is in charge of the oxygen garden. I guess, you know, when you're in a spaceship, everything is gray or white, you know, with wires and all this kind of stuff. Suddenly you walk into this oxygen garden, which is green, you know, and I have tomato plants growing. I have carrots growing because, you know, we're adding some color and some taste. And obviously in the spaceship, Icarus II, Her oxygen garden is the one, the thing that sustains the crew, sustains the spaceship for the length of duration of time that they have to complete their mission. So she's very important.
0: Um, They wouldn't survive without her. Nobody (laughs) dies. This is a family film. What are you
1: talking about?
0: I mean, that is just a a fantastic cast across the board, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And pretty much all of them have gone on to be bigger since than they were then. Because, like, Chris Evans... This in would have been right when his
1: Fantastic Four tenure was ending,
0: yes. but pre yes. cap. Yeah, pre cap, and you know, and it's funny. I actually watching this film, Chris Evans' Mace in this movie. I think this role is more likely the role that gets him cap than Human Torch. Because Human Torch, obviously you go, oh, it's another Marvel character. But it's comp- Human Torch, Johnny Storm, is nothing like Captain America. Mm. Like, it's a very different role. Playing Johnny Storm doesn't instantly make you go, oh, well, you should play Cap. Whereas this, he's a military man who's extremely noble, puts the mission first above himself every single time. Very self-sacrificing. I, I think he's got a lot of Captain America elements to him
1: here. Despite being a bit of like a hard-ass yeah. in, in, in a very non-cap way, because he's, he's clashing with people right from the off, but you're right, he's very much... The mission is what counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. essentially the first kind of question that comes up with this film is when they detect the uh, Icarus signal, and, and it becomes, do we divert course at a big risk to stop by the Icarus, to A, see if there are potential survivors, and B, to also double our chances of success by getting the second payload, which could still be operational. And he's very much just like, nah, fuck him, we don't do any of that. We do what we're here to do. And it can come across, it's funny, because in a different type of film, he'd be more outwardly of a dick character Mm -hmm. in like, oh, I'm choosing to say fuck them because I hate people or whatever. But it's not that at all. It's like, and you get that through his performance. It's him going like, no, 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 this is, as you would, if this was a genuine mission, you'd be like, no, we're not going to do something reckless and silly when we have one thing to do and the entire Earth's survival counts on it. And so I think when that debate rears its head, it's a really interesting case of different sides, of who's putting forward what. And it's all very rational, because, you know, these are all scientists on this ship. That It very much feels like the whole crew is scientist
0: first, astronaut second, you know what I mean? Yeah, the thing with Mace, like you say, is at the beginning, you could easily presume that he's like a power-hungry dick or something like that. But actually, once you discover it, it's like he's not going to become captain if the captain dies. Because obviously there's a sequence where basically he gets the captain on side with him to basically make the captain self-sacrifice his life. And he's like, oh, you agree with me, right? We've got a like mission first. And the captain does agree with him. And a part of you is like, oh, is that selfish? But then you realise, oh, he's not going to become the captain. Harvey's going to become the captain. But then later, when you actually get the sequence where literally only one of them can have a spacesuit and he instantly gives it to Killian Murphy and it's just instantly like yeah he needs to have it he's the most important mission first and you really yeah he is completely self saturated he just cares about the mission Cassie! The
1: airlock has decoupled we don't know why the locking system on Icarus 1 is totally ripped open I can hold our car position but we are going to be able to dock again there's another thing guys you've got a hull breach I can see it you're losing atmosphere
0: Screwed. No, we're not. One of us isn't, anyway. What happened? The airlock's destroyed. There's only one suit. Kappa's taking it. Why Kappa? Because the rest of us are lower priority. I'm not a low priority. You're a comms officer on a ship that has no means of communication. I am the captain. The mission needs a captain to hold it together. Harvey, Kappa's the only person outside of Icarus who can operate the payload. No, there's no choice for you. Kappa, I order you to remove that suit. Get out of the suit!
1: That is a direct order. I assure you, when
0: I'm on board Icarus 2, that I will do everything within my power. To what? Shuttle back with more suits? The airlock is ripped in half. Once we break that seal, how are we going to repressurize? All he cares about is the success of the mission. And everything that he is doing is based across that. And of course, in the end, he does sacrifice himself in order to save the day. Um, so I think he's fantastic in it. Makes a really, really good impression. I think, in many ways, he's the standout for me in a great cast. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, Michelle Yeoh, obviously, who is the Star Trek connection here... I think gives a kind of really good performance and showing in her role. But I think her role is reasonably small. And, you know, one of the things that does happen in this film is that basically everyone dies.
1: Baby. Beautiful baby. Icarus, pass me through to Mesa. I have something wonderful to show him. Oh, Cassie. Oh, Kappa. Icarus.
0: Don't fight. Don't fight. And just gradually, like, the deaths just start stacking up.
1: Like, And they all hit pretty hard. I mean, as is the nature of this kind of story, it's like these things always whether they set out to be at the start, always end up being suicide missions at some point. Mm.
0: But I think what stops this film tipping over into nihilism, which is something that I really don't enjoy in my my movies, is the fact that in the end, they are successful. They actually complete their mission and they succeed. And, you know, you get that great thing at the end with Murphy's kind of message back home. So if you wake up one morning... And it's a particularly beautiful day. You'll know we made it.
1: It's like they're crawling to the finish line and it costs everyone everything, but they do make it. Then that's really interesting because you think when they set out on this thing, there's all the potential for them to successfully do it and all come home. And then, of course, decisions are made, things start going wrong, it snowballs through. And everybody, one by one, does kind of bite it. But right at the end, it, it pushes it right through to as far as it can go and still have them be successful. And I'll just add as well on the, on the Chris Evans front, like I, I'm such an admirer of this guy because I think people often say, like, oh, who is the best, like, out of the MCU actors and the big main ones, who is the best actor outside of there are other roles and I think he sometimes gets overlooked because he is so good at cap. But I think for me he's the one. Like between between everything from like knives out and snowpiercer and this and Scott Pilgrim, like he's he's got such great range and I think people have forgotten because of how great he is at the extremely noble cap. And I do hope he gets to making more new stuff soon. I've just I've just seen Lightyear of which he's great in. Like it's, you know, that's a character based in, in sort of what we already know about, especially from a vocal performance with what Tim Allen did. But he's amazing. He, he totally sells it as like the human version of what that voice would be. and. That's a film that has a lot of similarities with Sunshine, in fact. You know, they're both astronauts. They both fly towards the sun at one point. Both films have a sequence of an airlock-to-airlock airlock space jump.
0: <laughs> so do, he, mean, do they feature, like, a hideous... Mark Strong, yes. Mark Strong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's definitely, like, a, you know, what happened to certain people involved. So, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because watching Sunshine in time for this, I watched slightly <laughs> the same night. So it's a, a strange Chris Evans in space double bill of which both films did have very uh, close touch points. But yeah, I think I think Evans is great. And here is such an encapsulation of that midpoint between, like, he's got his very cartoonish douchebag in Scott Pilgrim, which is just the scene sealer for that film as well, and then, yeah, the more
0: noble side as well. I think this is a great bridge. Yeah, he's the most memorable boyfriend in Scott Pilgrim, isn't he? Yeah. Like, uh, you yeah. know... And uh, like you say, you mentioned a lot of good roles for him there in a lot of good films... He's actually made a really, a a lot of good choices. His stone piercer is Mm -hmm. fan-fucking-tastic, and he's brilliant in it. And Knives Out as well, he's hilarious in. Son. Father. Did Harlan tell you he was gonna cut you out of the will? Yep. Well, and he's done what none of us were strong enough to do. Maybe this might finally make you grow up. This might be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Thank you. My mother, ladies and gentlemen. Look, this is not going to be easy for you, but it'll be good.
1: Nothing good is ever easy.
0: Up your ass, Joni. You've had your teeth in this family's tid for a long time. Up your ass. a oh, very nice. Oh, Matter oh my fact, God. Eat shit. No, no, How's shit. That? No, no, no. Fact. Do not use that word in front of my son. Eat shit. He's, if I'm not back you I would slap that sludge. Right? Definitely right. eat shit. No, no, no. Eat shit. But in terms of similarities that you were listing with light year, is one of the similarities that uses Adagio and D-Minor by John Murphy. <laughs> because the score of this film is fantastic. Yeah. But the main theme, which is, as I said, Adagio and D-Minor... That kicks in for the first time as the sun's coming over the shield for the first time, doesn't it? Yeah, it's when... Um, when S- Sonada dies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it comes in at the end when Murphy is saving the day. And that piece of score is absolutely fucking fantastic. Like, yeah, like, literally, it's amazing... It's up there with the piece of score that Murphy did for 28 Days Later, which has been used in loads of stuff as well. I mean, literally, it's so just powerful and epic and emotional. And it's been proven that by, because there are very few pieces of film score that go on to be reused. in other major movies. To
1: the point Um, where you might think, oh, the original use of it in this is from something. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, outside of Tarantino using countless Ennio Morricone scores in his films, really, the thing of a film using a film score appropriated from another film is is pretty rare, I would say. Yeah. Um, But this has been used in this, in Kick-Ass... Yeah. And also... Recently, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four, huh. which is crazy. It's, like going, like yeah, yeah, and it's funny. It's it's
1: definitely been a new bit of trailer music as well. Yeah, trailers. trailers it's been on Ready Player One, X Men: Days of Future Past, a TV spot for Gravity. Uh, yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, I
0: remember it being used.
1: Season five, episode fourteen of Love Island. <laughs> I can't imagine the context.
0: as well, and the score in general is is great. And I think the two versions of it are different, slightly different as well, They're used earlier and then at the end. It's just an yeah, iconic piece of film score, I think. It adds to the atmosphere so much. This film is one of those ones where the score, the cast, and the visuals are all really really strong like the visual aesthetic of this film is very very impressive and
1: well i love how straight away they um in a very clever bit of exposition get across to you how powerful the sun is where we we meet i think it's cliff curtis uh in that observation room
0: hey chris yes dr searle please refilter the room portal Icarus, how close is this to full brightness? At this distance of 36 million miles, you are observing the sun at
1: 2% of full brightness.
0: 2%? Can you show me 4%? 4% 4% would result in irreversible damage to your retinas. So he says, how far can I go up? And they say 3.1%. Yeah. That. And that's when you realise, like, oh, yeah, what a
1: great way of setting up that the sun is fucking bright and strong. And that's what they're heading
0: towards, you know. Mm-hmm. And also the kind of weird, like, obsession with the, the sun and that kind yeah, of yeah. That almost intoxicating and hypnotised yeah. by it. And it, it kind of gets in, because I, I think the film's quite a mesmerising film with the combination of the score and the visuals. The The DOP of this is a guy called Alwin H. Keschler, who I was looking at what other things he's done. He's kind of done some other stuff with Boyle, like Steve Jobs hmm. and Divergent and stuff. But really, I... I think in all honesty, you know, no disrespect to him, uh, a lot of the visual majesty of this film comes from the VFX. Yeah. Which I think 15 years later still stand up pretty really well. The visual effects of this film still look really impressive and I think that's because this is a film where although there is obviously a lot of CG, there is clearly a real artistry and design to it you feel like there's been a starting mm. block with probably some really amazing concept art and stuff yeah. like that has then translated into great yeah. effects well, i've heard people say you know this is very much of the alien school of sci-fi horror
1: and it's like yeah, yeah i totally agree on that but it also feels like it goes more than that it goes like yeah this is one that now 15 years later we can look back on and see how it stood up and be like yeah in terms of design and everything i think that the practical. Like sets and just the the core design of everything and it really lends itself to that aesthetic and i think it's it all kind of adds up and then the, the nature of this film the way it goes it gets more and more kind of trippy like i love just the real descent into chaos that boilings into just the little camera tricks and everything that comes up, especially when strong starts showing up and it's like these little blurry shaky close-ups and stuff it has a real authored voice behind it which you wouldn't really see and You could compare it to more recent stuff like Life or some other Netflix things, and it's like, yeah, this is doing a job, but it's a bit more by numbers, whereas this is such a clean, easy concept of a film done with such a great approach and voice behind it that it's a really great combination.
0: Well, I thought of Life, which I believe is Daniel Espinosa, is it not? I think so. Recently famous for Bring Us Morbius. (laughs) But yeah, like, Life, I was not a big fan of that film. I think that it's a good cast and, like, entertaining. It's but also got Hiroyuki Sonado in. So, a... <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, there you go. But is uh, I you bring it up as well, because I do think, yeah. aesthetically, there is a similarity. And even, like, in tone and feel... Yeah. I would that... definitely say life is trying to be the next sunshine. Yeah, and I think, personally, it fails because... Whereas this film feels like it's going potentially down a nihilistic road and then gives us the happy ending. It goes, yes, all these people had to sacrifice themselves, but they were willing to do that for the greater good. The greater good. (laughs) And and then they are successful and the world is saved because they're sacrificed. Life is completely opposite of that. Life is, no matter what, the bad guys will always win. Spoilers for life. They fight this kind of little organism thing all the way through. Is basically, you know, the alien creature. And then at the end, you think they're going to sacrifice themselves to save the day. But no, they do sacrifice themselves. And the fucking bad guy, little shit creature, still wins out and still makes it to Earth to kill everyone on Earth as well. And so literally the message at the end of life is all life is going to be wiped out because this little alien shit... Is going to kill everyone. And I'm just not down with that. I'm just literally, that is fucking nihilistic bollocks. I really don't like it. And this, I think, balances it so much better of going. It gets really dark. It turns into almost a bit of a horror movie. at the Angus Mark Strong is essentially a horror movie monster. He's the, he's the the space Colonel Kurtz. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like this burn kind of fucking disgusting ravaged beast. He flew too close to the sun! (laughs) But yeah, I love all the little character
1: beats in here as well because it does have that kind of, if not nihilistic, then at least a little bleak. Because early on you get a sense of, does Killian Murphy's Kappa even truly believe this isn't a one-way mission? Like, his his little uh, message at the start, which by the time it's received in the final scene, is more of a goodbye. I think even at the time he's recording that, you get a sense that maybe he thinks we ain't coming back from this. And it's interesting to look at it through that lens because that's such an early scene of him being like, if he kind of has that belief in him, the amount he goes to to, to get to the end is quite something. And even, it says here on Wiki, uh, Wiki fact that, yeah, Stephen Murphy said that his involvement in the film caused him to change his views on religion from agnosticism to atheism.
0: Yeah, that felt really weird. Like, in terms hypocrite. of, like... In terms of going... Because you expect it to be the other way round. Yeah. In terms of going like, oh yeah, I was atheist, now I'm agnostic. Because I was in this really sci-fi philosophical film about like, you know. But to be like, nah, full atheist now. Like, that just seems weird. Um, Did you know that uh, he shadowed Professor Brian Cox for the role? And I think that really shows because I think he's got... Certainly, number one that he's got similar hair. Yeah. To Brian, Cox. he's got that floppy Brian Cox hair. Um Floppy Cox. He floppy Cox. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also he has got some of his like mannerisms and stuff like that. So I think that does come across. You also not Oscar Isaac was originally up for a role in this. Oh, which one? Well, I don't know which role, but he loved the script mm. and would be re- interesting. It's two thousand seven era. Oscar Isaac was... No-
1: well, yeah, obviously nobody at the time. Imagine, oh, imagine if he was the Garrity role, the or Troy Garrity, whatever it is. The, you know, the oh, God, would,
0: instantly so much then, better. That would be the entire cast. Instantly so much better. Like like Sorry, yeah, Maybe do you If the guy
1: wigs out and tries to, like, now he's the captain and then he ends up getting killed. and I'm know. the captain now.
0: Maybe, do you think he would have been the Cliff Curtis role? The car son 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 worshiper maybe I think he could have done that role quite well because when's his first big thing sucker punch when's that 2011. okay so in the drive oh he's in drive as well is he what's he doing in drive he's the boyfriend the food Terry Mulligan oh the dickhead boyfriend yeah yeah It's that Oscar Isaac isn't yeah it? oh right okay oh, obviously I wouldn't have seen him at the time mm-hmm. like going like yeah yes yeah, so it's four years before then. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to think. It's like, I, don't, I don't really know how old Oscar Isaac is. What do you reckon? I don't know. He's one of those slightly unknowable ages, isn't he? Right, I'm looking him up. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to say 41. Okay. 43. 43. So he's, he's like 28, 28. But, yeah, I mean, 28's all right, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah, he would have fit in with the rest of the guy. He wouldn't have been too young. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I totally could see him in it. I think, yeah, I think having him playing Harvey continue the cast being more diverse and international stuff like yeah Yeah, this this focus
1: on the science is really really great and it kind of goes a a long way to the way alex garland puts together his projects as well which feel really inspired by real science and but noting the difference between real science and movie science and how to best get it together so you know garland wrote a lot of this film based on scientific ideas about the heat death of the universe and uh, specifically this article about projecting the future of mankind from a physics-based atheist perspective. And yeah, everything with Brian Cox's involvement as well. You know, he said, you know, that Sunshine's not a documentary. It's just trying to, in an hour and 40 minutes, get across a feeling of what it's like to not only be a scientist, because obviously there's much more in it than that. So I found it interesting to watch the kind
0: of people that get upset because the gravity is wrong. Talking about coming back to the science, obviously there is a sequence in this film where Chris Evans... And Killian Murphy and Harvey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My name is Harvey. Uh, try and get across from Icarus One to Icarus Two, and the airlock has been like detached. Yeah. So now they have to go across a part of the the void of blackness of space into the other ship. There's only one spacesuit that goes to Killian Murphy. And Chris Evans comes up with the idea of basically wrapping themselves in kind of like lining of the spaceship. It's like thermal, like those. Thermal yeah, diapers. like thermal kind of like, you know, lining. And they kind of like wrap it around themselves, like, and they are basically going to leap out of the spaceship and get caught in the kind of uh, the, like the vortex where and get pulled in to the airlock of the other spaceship. I thought it this time, I thought it when I first saw the movie is this total bollocks? Because they literally, I mean, Harvey does not survive, but only because he like floats off. He doesn't get. He doesn't get across. He like floats off and, and gets yeah. frozen. He but pulls. Cr- he pulls his blankets off as well when he realizes he's fucked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But Chris Evans makes it across, and he is. Uh, he has got like frostbite. I think his hand looks a bit fucked, but he has survived. Yeah. Uh, he has survived. And I would they do a thing in tote in the back of Total film called is this bollocks where <laughs> they go like examine like a thing from that happened a film and be like yo and they ask an expert in the film I' would just be goony to be like has anyone done this because I'm like literally I'm like surely this has got to be total bullshit you cannot i don't think you can survive for a second in yeah in, in the deep vastness of black space well, here's, well, for even a millisecond no. like as well, in terms of reality well here's like, the yeah. thing i
1: think this is where this film strikes that perfect line where it's like yeah i watch that and go yeah it probably is bollocks but the film convinces me because they they go to all the lengths they physically can to make that jump work in the yes. context of the film yeah, yeah, yeah. wrapping up Saying it'll be, it'll only be 20 seconds or whatever. But, but that car fucks it... up
0: because he almost goes, Killian Murphy has to catch him and not yeah. like pull him back. So it's either, it feels longer. If, than if it's like... like, when they got through to the other side, Evans was just like, hey, easy, give me a cup of tea.
1: Yeah, but he's really
0: screaming yeah, 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 and, like,
1: yeah, yeah. in terrible pain. So I, yeah, think, yeah. I think, yeah, the film makes it work. It's like choosing that tonal lane and sticking to it. Like, either it's going to be the type of film where you can do something like that and they can just be jumping around and having a beer. Or. He's dead the second he steps for the thing. Yeah, in which yeah. case you have no movie. So. I mean,
0: it's a very exciting sequence. And of course, they do have the sacrifice of Harvey. So it kind of goes like, oh, well, someone did die. And Chris Evans is horribly hurt by it. But it still feels like I say, I just think the moment he gets out. If he's not wearing a space suit, he's, like, dead instantly. You know what I mean? If there's any waiting around, if he's instantly, like, you're frozen, exploding. <laughs> like, yeah, i do fucking space. So that's always been so so boring. But I think the sequence is so exciting and thrilling and intense that it kind of gets away with it. And I kind of, like you say, I think the performances sort of sell it. And I think the fact that Harvey dies and also Cliff Curtis dies in that sequence yeah. because he sacrifices himself to help them get away. Like, you kind of go, oh, okay, there's enough, like, death and, like, you know, sacrifice around it. go, ah, okay, cool. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So, one thing I will go into is, as usual, I would do what I do with these uh, on screen and spotlight the movies episodes. Well, mm. will tell you what else Michelle Yoa was up to in 2007 around this film so her only other credit in 2007 is a film called far north Hmm. Uh, directed by asif kapada who later became most famous for documentaries like senna and amy the amy winehouse documentary uh and also i think maradona i think he did one on uh so this film far north stars her and sean bean
1: no one will find us here She always told me, if I ever saw anyone on the tundra, I must chop off their head, and then ask if they needed help. You're lucky Saiva helped you.
0: So basically, apparently, it's about like, two women hiding out in the sub region of Siberia, where Sean Bean turns up and starts causing trouble you know, the kind of two women not hiding out and then a man turns up and starts being sinister and stuff like that. Down my hair?
1: You mustn't fall for him.
0: <laughs>
1: he will vanish into the mist the way he came. I like him. When I was born, the shaman looked at my face and had a vision. He said that I was cursed. <laughs> enough to get close to
0: me. Sounds like it's maybe be quite good. Gets three stars on letterbox, like you know, but um I haven't seen it. But that's the other project she was doing in 2007. So another car kind of Hollywood film. So with Sunshine, shall we move on to Final Thoughts? Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, I think you know, I think all the cast is great here. Uh, props to old Benny Wong as well, Benedict Wong, who does some really great small stuff here. You know, his, his sort of breakdown after causing the death of the captain is incredible, and he gets... Yeah, terrible guilt. Put, ...put on that suicide watch, which does not end well. And I know some people sort of complain of its of its third act, but I, I love the way it goes in this. I think it gets more and more uh, cerebral as they plummet towards the sun. You know, they kind of... Set, every, every other lifeline's being cut off, and by the time they're choosing to, like, you know, fire the payload, the ship gets blown up by the sun... They're hurtling down, and it's you know like interstellar levels of kind of wild space stuff. It's this kind of cube that's floating about, and that it's so centralised that there's no real centre of gravity. So they're escaping Mark Strong. They give him that horrendous uh, what's the phrase? Degloving
0: of his Oh on. yeah, they like it's yes. uh, it's very uh, Gerald's game.
1: Yes. <laughs> and then they fall off the side, but by the time they reach the midpoint of the cube, the gravity fixes itself and they're still there. And then, yeah, just the, the, the nature of this idea
0: of a guy who's had these nightmares of falling into the sun mm-hmm. literally, falling into the sun. That whole sequence of them like falling down the side of the ship and stuff that felt very Star Trek Discovery Season 3 <laughs> where you find there's a whole city in the ship, like, yes. going, like oh, it just being massive and vast.
1: Yeah. And also the bit when you find out that Mark Strong is on the ship is such a great little horror moment when uh, Murphy's chatting to the ship's computer and it keeps going like five crew members. And it's like, what do you mean there's four of us? And just the line
0: reading of the computer going five crew members. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. I think. Did you keep expecting the computer was going to go evil? Because it kept feeling like it was verging on that and then didn't really happen
1: um no just because of mark strong's very presence also being there
0: um, but yeah like if strong is there he will, yeah. just be, he will. Well, that's a bad guy name as well like pinbacker pinbacker yeah. yeah and that whole character now
1: feels so alex garland in, in what we've seen in the film since. Well, also
0: feels a bit idris elba and star trek beyond yeah feels like he's kind of you know lost first first captain who yeah. like went mad kind of thing feels like because he has the video diary thing yeah 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 as well like,
1: yeah. yeah I think this is just a really really solid kind of like space thriller horror all of the above with an amazing cast great design great direction great score and uh, yeah I think it's rightly being remembered now more and more as this great kind of staple of, of mid-naughty sci-fi and I think as time goes on it's only going to be more kind to it as well because you know there's nothing really in here that is dating it and you said you know so much about the cg standing up like i think i think anything you can do with with the sun is kind of a bit of an easy fix because you just have to you know crank up the brightness of physical lights hitting actors in a scene and it's not having to rely on cg creatures or cg worlds or smoke or whatever it's just a very clear source of effect there and I think it's I think it's brilliant
0: I think it's really good but it's also got those kind of almost Doug Trumbull Tree of Life-esque yes. type space effects isn't it yes so by, so, by, so, by
1: the so, end it's, yeah. it's going it's going full 2001 full
0: full interstellar mm-hmm. full you know full real hard sci-fi it's great so I should mention that this was made on a budget of 40 million Uh, made a worldwide box office return of only 32 million Ugh. So this was a flop because it didn't even make its budget back. And obviously that's not even taking into account marketing. A real shame because this feels like maybe this is, you know, potentially another nail in the coffin for original kind of sci-fi. Especially for like British studios. Yeah, 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 like completely. Because it's such an international cast. You assume in your head it's a Hollywood movie, but like, you know, yeah. This film, yeah, I think it is a great, Little movie, great little sci-fi. I think there's definitely interstellar comparisons. Uh, Comparisons have been made with Life uh, by Daniel Espinosa as well. But I think, in all honesty, I probably prefer Sunshine to either of those films. Mm. I mean, I prefer Interstellar a lot to Life. But I think this is a pretty unique and really strong slices sci-fi. Like I mean it does a a lot of interesting stuff. Fantastic cast visually and sonically. It's really impressive. Uh so I give it four stars. Yeah, same. um I think for Danny Ball, apparently, Danny Ball's gone on record that the reception to it and how hard it was, I presume he kind of means the post production process. Uh which has been quite big on this film. Put him off making sci fi. I think that's a shame because this is his only sci-fi film, essentially. And I think it shows he's got a knack for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Danny Ball is absolutely incredible director. I mean, Shallow Grey, Trainspotting, uh, 28 Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, mm. Trance, Steve Jobs. You know, he's a visionary director. But I would have liked to see more sci-fi from him, certainly. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, four stars from me, really, yeah. really impressive. It's funny, like, you're talking about,
1: you know, how how hot Michelle Yeoh is right now. Um, she's also this year, she's doing a voice part in Minions, The Rise of Gru. Might Mike. not be for us, but it's going to be a big animated hit. And uh, Letterbox at least, has her down as being in Avatar 3, 4, and 5.
0: <laughs> is she so not two. Avatar 1 and 2? No. The original Avatar is on the list. On the Spotlight Movies list. Wait, wait, because of Zoe Sautana. Yes, Zoe yes. I was trying. Well, I suppose she'll be in all of them, won't she? Oh, presumably. So, yeah, I guess they could all be on the list. And if Michelle Yoa ends up in them, even more so. So, yeah, I guess, you know, at some point we will probably tackle Avatar. And I haven't seen it since the cinema. So, have you seen it since the cinema? Maybe once. Okay, so that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. I know I've got it on DVD. Have you? Why? Why did you? Because there it? was like a.
1: It might have been a Christmas present, but it's like a super sexy three disc,
0: special edition or whatever. There's nothing sexy but, about <laughs> at the time, Matthew. But presumably. I tell you what, those fucking what are they called? Navi uh-huh. still freak me out to these days. But I will give so it a rewatch
1: weird. on Disney Plus, where it'll be Blu Ray quality and.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll be uh, like seeing it afresh. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely gonna rewatch it before two comes out because I'm just, you know, I'm intrigued. and Cameron, I mean, you don't remember about the Unobtainium? No, (laughs) and Cameron is a very important filmmaker. I think you know, no one makes movies like Cameron. So I don't know. I want the thing is, I want kind of Avatar to have a redemption and end up being good, but I'm not. You know, I, I the trailer for well, Ways of I didn't, I, didn't like turn me around. I think
1: it definitely can be, because now it will surely be more of an original story than more of the uh, Pocahontas riff that the first Fergulli. one was. phone guy, yeah. So it feels like it's going to, especially by the time you get to Avatar 4, surely by then it's going to have its own
0: thing going full steam. So. I mean, the big exciting thing for me about it was, they were talking about Arnie being the villain uh, of the second film for a long time. That didn't happen. That would have excited me. Arnie being a villain in it. Like, taking over the Stephen Lang role. Although, apparently, he's back for the second film. And I don't know. But anyway, this is is not Avatar. (laughs) This is Sunshine. This has been Avatar. And unlike Avatar, Sunshine got four stars from both of us, which Avatar would not get. And yeah, we really, really enjoyed that. And if you haven't seen Sunshine... Uh, it's available on Amazon Prime in the UK right now. You can go and watch it there. And I think it is on Disney Plus in the UK as well, I think. Yeah, it is. Uh, so Honestly. yeah, there's two big streaming services in the UK uh, where you can get hold of it. And I would imagine if that's the case, it probably is in some streaming services in the US as well. Uh, so literally hunt it down if you've never seen it, because it's a really great little sci-fi film with a, a fantastic cast. Um, so, we will be back with another episode focusing on a different aspect of the Star Trek universe at some point. Until then, Matthew, why don't you tell the listeners what other podcasts you do, given that you did speak about Sun Double Deep earlier. Yeah, so Sun Double Deep, which I do with previous guests, Daryl and Jeanette There, we
1: look at three films linked by a word in the title. So, yeah, as mentioned, we did Sunshine with Sunshine on the Leaf and Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind. Um... I'm trying to think of an episode that will be coming out ahead enough in the future by the time this one does. Uh, we've got a ring triple bill coming. Any any guesses there, sir? Oh, ring, I would assume. The ring. Yes, we have Ringu, the original Japanese one on there. Oh, you've got, because it's translated as ring. Yeah, we have 1994's Ring of Steel and 1952's The (laughs) Ring. I mean, I'm picking this one at random, but this was an episode that was due to come out a lot sooner. And so I did start watching these. And I have already watched The Ring, which is, I think, Rita Marino's, if not debut, one of her early films. That's interesting. I think it's the same year, 1952, it's the same year as The Sound of Music, which she's also in. um, And she's really great in it. It's about like a a young uh, Mexican-American boxer. Uh, and all the kind oh, of pre- the
0: boxer? no no no
1: no. <clears throat> She's like the girlfriend. Right, right. But it's a very very interesting uh, look at the kind of Mexican communities in LA, especially for early fucking fifties. And it sounds interesting. It's about
0: them, you know what I mean. And um, of course, I am returning to Sun Deep. Yes. At some point, uh, we did try and record this episode, but I succumbed to COVID, unfortunately. But I will be returning. We will be re-recording this episode. I will be returning to a four. Triple bill, uh with Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, Rocky Four, mm-hmm. and four lines, and then I'm going to do a deeper episode as well, which but I'll keep quiet about what that's about. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, this is it. We've yeah. been
1: in a very uh, COVIDy period recently. Where what again, once
0: we get where, COVID, where again? that record got delayed. Uh, this and our 100th episode got delayed. And... I've still got a COVID cough, which I will have hopefully what? <laughs> mostly edited out of this episode. Yep. I'm now testing negative, but i am still got a lingering COVID cough, which is incredibly annoying. Yep. COVID-related shenanigans
1: also pushed our final bonus episode of my other. other show is Paul Dano OK, where we were going to finish off looking at Escape at Dannemora his uh, 2018 miniseries directed by Ben Stiller which is a very great prison break drama. We've got the second half of that to cover with special guest Sabrina Barr, So hopefully we get that in soon. It will not make its original release now but we we had a good run. So that'll be around
0: soon and that's the and end of And then you've got other season. big plans for Paul Dano. We, okay, yeah. we do. We yeah. do. So, yeah, coming soon, coming soon. So yeah, exciting times. You can find us at Spotlight Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And lots of information on there in terms of what we're doing coming up. There's always kind of little previews and <laughs> stuff. So check. Oh, God. Matt's dying oh. now. Oh! You're all right. Fucking hell. You just down, <laughs> down some whiskey. We know when you get something it's like down the Yeah.
1: Fucking whiskey down the wrong Jesus Christ.
0: Jesus. <sighs> Matt's taking something up the wrong hole oh, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we will be back with another episode of Spot Club but until then it's goodbye from me Liam it's goodbye from me Matt live long and prosper <laughs>